Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be at this morning. And uh, while you're turning there, I'm going to give you, we're going to have story time together. True story. All right. Um, a few years ago, I was uh, at the Kroger gas pump in Somerset, Kentucky, and I was minding my own business, putting gas in my truck back when gas was relatively affordable. And, um, you know, I'm just doing my thing, minding my own business. And, and as you'd imagine with me, you've, you've been to gas pumps, you know how they work. Uh, I'm in my lane, and the next lane over, there is uh, a man or woman, I don't remember, pumping their gas. You know, that's what you do at a gas pump. And then right behind them was another gentleman in his car, patiently waiting for his turn to pump gas, all right? Um, and, and that's when I noticed there was an event that was about to unfold. Because, you know, this person's here pumping their gas, this other person's waiting patiently behind them to pump their gas. That's when I noticed somebody coming from the other side who also begins waiting for that same pump, all right? Now, I don't know if they knew one another were there, but they're both looking at the same pump, okay? And so the person that's pumping their gas finishes, you know, they finish their, their deal, they put the handle back on the pump, uh, and then, um, you know, get in their car and drive away. Well, before the guy that's waiting patiently has a chance to throw it in drive and, and pull forward, this other guy just whips right in, throws it in park, sets her down, and he's off to the, uh, the little phone booth where you pay, you know, prepay. Um, I just call it a phone booth. It's not really a building. I don't know what it is, but... Um, so he gets out of his car and he walks up there to begin paying. And that's when I noticed the guy that, that had been patiently waiting gets out of his car and follows this guy up to the little phone booth thing. And I'm like, what is about to go down? Right, because we're in Somerset. Not, it's not eastern Kentucky, but it's still the 606. Right, and I don't know if you know the 606, but... I mean, it doesn't take a lot for people in the 606 to throw hands. And so I'm thinking, like, I'm about to see at, at least a, vo- a verbal altercation, right? Maybe if I'm lucky, I'll even see somebody, maybe see a fight break out here at the Kroger gas pumps. I know it's bad that I wish to see that kind of thing, but it is entertaining, all right? Um, and so he... You know, this first guy he, that, that kind of cut him off, he goes up for the, the thing and he's about to prepay. And this guy follows him up there and kind of over his shoulder shouts at the, uh, the young lady working the, the cash register. She's like, this, this guy cut me off. Right? And this woman that's working, I mean, she looks like she's maybe 17, 18. She's making $7.25 an hour to just right, work the gas pump. She looks at this guy hurling accusations like, dude, what? what do you want me to do, right? I work here in this 24 square foot box. Like I ain't, I ain't dealing with it, <laughs> right? And so uh, when it becomes clear that she's not going to do anything about the fact that this guy got cut off, he decides to take matters into his own hands, right? And so, um, you know, he realizes she's not going to exercise justice. So um, again, he, he, kind of approaches this guy, like gets in front of him to where they can kind of see each other. And again, I'm, I'm like, oh, it's, it's happening. Like it's going down right now. I'm about to go ask the attendant, like, do you have popcorn here? I, uh, and so he, the, the guy who had been patiently waiting, who's very upset that he got cut off, he kind of steps, you know, steps to where he can see this guy and he gives him the up and down. 
I mean, like, it's going down, right? I thought I knew what was going to happen. I was not prepared for what happened next. Because he gives this guy, you know, he does the whole up and down, kind of sizes it up like he's going to punch him in the throat. And instead, looks at him in the eye, and I, I kid you not, looks at this guy up and down and says, well, you're not a Christian. <laughs> I know. I know. And I'm just sitting there like, what is happening? Right? I mean, there were a lot of things I expected to happen in that moment. That was not on my radar. Right? Um, and so, and so he, he, I mean, think about what happened. This guy who's, who's upset he got cut off at the gas pump. Right? Makes a judgment on this guy's, the condition of his soul, his eternal state, based on the fact that he cut him off at the gas pump. Right? And, and so the guy who had apparently just been condemned to a life in hell, um, to his credit, like he didn't do anything. He just kind of looked like, are you serious right now? Like, is this, is this really happening? Right? He just kind of shakes his head, walks back to his car. I think he was probably trying, like, not to laugh. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of with the guy. Right? Now, obviously, I have no idea what the eternal condition of this guy's soul is. Right? But, but I'm inclined to believe that uh, if by some chance his accuser was right, and this guy is not a Christian, well, he certainly doesn't want to be one now if they act like you, right? Uh, in, in hindsight, I probably should have gone to the guy and been like, hey, man, uh, listen, we're not all like that. just want you to know, right? And then I probably should have went to the accuser and been like, listen, I know Jesus said the world would hate us. You're not doing us any favors, Right? I mean, it's this absurd story, like, and 100% true. I've told that story for several years now because it's a great illustration to the text this morning, right? It's a ridiculous story about somebody judging someone's eternal condition based on this one altercation, right? This one misunderstanding, this one incident, right? But it really, uh, it, it's, it's, it is a ridiculous story, but it highlights what Jesus talks about here in Matthew chapter Seven. So uh, we're going to read the first five verses and then spend a little bit of time talking about them. So Matthew chapter 7, just to remind you, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what Jesus says in starting in verse 1. He says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Right, so what you've, you've got here is uh, Jesus teaching uh, how do we deal with one another in these moments? How do we approach one another? How do we navigate these moments of tension right, in, in relationships with others? Right? And so the first thing worth pointing out is that Jesus, again, talking about he's, this is the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples. I think it's worth pointing out that Jesus assumes 
there will be moments when, when there's some imperfections in his community. And there's going to be moments where tensions arise. There's going to be moments where uh, sin is committed against one another. Right? These moments are, are going to exist. Right? Jesus' community is a saved community. We're, uh, we're saved from the penalty of sin, but we're not a perfect community. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's talking about how, how do we approach one another? How do we look at one another in these moments uh, where, where we do see sin in one another? Right? Where we do notice our, our imperfections within this community. Right? He's, he's talking about the appropriate way to address and navigate the sin that we, we see in one another. Right? And before we spend a few moments looking at what Jesus says, I think it's really important to point out what Jesus is not saying. All right? Because this command, judge not, is one of the uh, most well-known commands in all the Bible and probably one of the most misunderstood commands in all the Bible. So uh, here's what I want to submit to you, right? Judge not does not mean that we make no effort to discern truth and error in others or that we turn a blind eye to sin in others, right? That is not what, what Jesus means when he says judge not. He's not saying that we, we do no discerning about sin that may be present in the life of someone else. He's not saying that at all. Right? We've we got to use the Bible to interpret the Bible. And if you read through the Bible, or especially the New Testament, as it talks about what uh, this community of, of believers, the church, is supposed to be, right? it's full of teaching that we should discern right and wrong in one another. Right? We should uh, discern good and evil and truth and error when, it, when, error when it's present in, in one another. Right? That's part of what it means to be the church, is we, we hold one another accountable so that when I see you're living in a way that is not consistent with God's good design for His people, I have a responsibility to bring that to your attention, just as you have a responsibility to bring that to my attention. This is what the church is. You sign up to be a part of the church, you commit your life to the church, like you're in some ways, presenting yourself to say, like, hey, I need your help and you need my help. And so we're going to discern these, these truth and error and, and sin uh, in, in one another. Right? And even here in the Sermon on the Mount, think about some of the things that Jesus says. Right? He, he said back in chapter 5 that, we're to, uh, that our, righteous, <clears throat> excuse me, our righteousness is to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. We're told to discern uh, between neighbors and enemies. And then he tells us whether neighbors or enemies, we're to love them both. Right? He, he tells us not to be like the hypocrites in the way that they practice their, uh, their spirituality for show. Right? In a couple of weeks, we'll look at what Jesus has to say about identifying false prophets and discerning between sheep and wolves and good fruit and bad fruit. Right? Even the passage this morning, we'll get to it in just a minute, actually talks about right, looking at the, the speck or the sin that is in your brother. Right? So all of those things require some measure of, of judgment or discernment when we, we look at the life of someone else. Right? So Jesus' command to, to judge not cannot mean that we, we put on blinders uh, and we just 
refuse to acknowledge good and evil in someone's life or truth and error in someone's life. That's not what Jesus is saying. Right? Now, that's what, the, that's what the world would want you to believe that judge not means. Right? The world we live in, when they hear judge not, they think, oh, well, well we have no right to hold anyone to any sort of moral standard. Right? That's, why, that's why there's issues about gender the way there are. Issues about sexuality the way there are. That's why there's uh, all this... Right, we got an amendment on the, the Constitution when you vote this week that's going to talk about uh, what, what, what rights a woman has for her, her body. That whole debate over abortion is all centered around this, this idea of uh, who are we to hold someone to some sort of moral standard. So the world would want you to say, judge not means you have no right to make any judgments on whether someone is right or wrong, truth or error, Right, sin or, or, or not. But that's not what Jesus means here. So then what does Jesus mean? Right? Because he does say judge not. So what, is, what does Jesus mean? Right? He, here's, here's what Jesus is saying. He says that we must not, actually that we cannot, pronounce ultimate judgment on the condition, the intention, the motives of another man's heart. Right, we can evaluate the fruit of someone's life. We can assess uh, right, evidence of their growth in, in holiness or godliness or sanctification. Right, but, but we, as, as finite human beings, we do not have the ability to look at someone's life and pronounce ultimate judgment on them. Right? And I think, I think Paul says some helpful words on this. It's 1 Corinthians 4. Um, he's, Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthians, and he's addressing some, uh, some of his opposition. Here's what Paul writes. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 5. He says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So to summarize Paul's words there, the, the only person that is able to pronounce ultimate judgment is God. It's not you. Right? You and I don't have the ability to, to look at a person's sort of the, the external uh, appearance, their actions, and, and confidently say that person is or is not this or that. We, like, we don't have the ability to determine their eternal condition by, by what we, we see. Now, we, again, we look at evidences, we look at fruit. We look at the things we can see, but, but it's God alone who judges the heart. All right, not only does Paul, in these words, reject um, others' judgment, like he, he doesn't even trust his own judgment. Did you catch that? He's like, he's like I, I don't even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything I should be judged by, but, but right, that doesn't mean that there's not anything. To which I think if Paul, who wrote 
two-thirds of the New Testament who was more responsible for the spread of the gospel than anyone not named Jesus. And he's like, I, I don't know, man. I don't, even, I don't even want to judge my own heart. Then what in the world would ever make us think that we have a right to judge someone else's heart? Right? Our, our own heart or much less someone else's heart. Right? In Paul's words, there, there's only one person that can pronounce ultimate judgment. And that's the Lord. Right? He says that, uh, that the day is coming when the Lord will, will disclose the condition of every human heart. Right? In, in other words, there will be a day where every human being that has walked the face of the earth, their hearts will be laid open before the Lord. And listen, he doesn't need your help discerning. Right? Right, when, whenever uh, that day comes, right, whenever the Jesus comes back, splits the sky open, and, and, and all things are laid bare before God, like he's, not, he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's, he's all-knowing, he's all-seeing, he's ever-present. He knows the condition of, of every heart. We're all going to get in line, we're all going to have our hearts laid bare before the Lord for him to judge us. Right, when that day comes, he's not going right, to judge all of, of human history and be like, you know what, I need some help with this. I, reinforcements, come here. I need, I need you to help me judge this brother. And he doesn't need that. He's, he's the sovereign, omniscient God over creation. Right? He, he doesn't need help. And, and that kind of makes us feel small, right? It's supposed to. Right? It's supposed to. Right? Because Listen, to assume that, that you have the ability to, to accurately and ultimately assess the condition of someone's heart is to assume a position that you are not qualified for. Right? You are not omniscient. You are not all-knowing. You are not sovereign. Right? You are limited and finite and, and small in comparison with the God of the universe. The God who will one day judge right, the, the intentions, the motivations, the condition of, of every human heart. Right, there, there is one perfectly just judge over all of creation. And far be it from you, far be it from me to ever think that we could take his, his position at the, the bench. Right? So not only are we un, unqualified to, to judge another person because we're not God, but, but Jesus goes on to say we're also unqualified because we have another issue, and that's our own sin. Right? Look at back at verses 3 and 4. Right? Jesus says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how could you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye, right? Jesus uses uh, this imagery. Have you got one guy that's got like a little speck of sawdust in his eye, right? And, and he's, he's, there's another guy who's got like a, like a two by four sticking out of his eye, right? And it's a ridiculous image, right? The guy with a two by four sticking out of his eye, looking at this guy with sawdust. He's like, you need some help with that? Right? And it sounds ridiculous and it's supposed to. Because it should be ridiculous that we would uh, have some sort of obvious, 
right, unconfessed, unrepentant sin in our own hearts and yet be more concerned with, with the, the sin in a brother or sister. Right? Jesus is using like hyperbole to, to sort of uh, to show the absurdity of pronouncing judgment on, on someone while refusing to acknowledge, confess, repent of our own sin. Now again, Jesus is not saying that we should never hold a brother accountable. Right? That's not what Jesus is saying here. Look at verse 5 again. He says, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Right? So there is this, you should help your brother. When you see behavior or actions or, or attitudes in another brother or sister in Christ that is inconsistent with what it means to be a follower of Jesus, you, you have a responsibility to acknowledge those things, but it comes after you first examine yourself. All right, what are your motives? What are your intentions? All right, the, we don't, the point is not that we ignore a brother's sin, but it's that we should be as critical of our own sin as we are with the sin of others. Because right, if we can be honest for a minute, how, how easy is it? How easy is it to exaggerate the faults of others, sort of elevate the faults and misdeeds of others while sort of minimizing our own? Isn't that a really easy thing to do? Or how, how easy is it to assume the... Uh, the intentions, assume the worst in the intentions and motivations of other people while we kind of see our own through some, some rose-colored glasses. I'm going to have that song stuck in my head the rest of the day now. Some of you guys know what that is. Some of you guys need to listen to old country music. Um, sorry, squirrel. All right. Um, it's, just, it's natural, it's easy to condemn others for their behavior while sort of uh, justifying our own similar behaviors or, or even our, our worst behaviors. All right, so so here's, a, here's a good question for you. Kind of an, an application question for you to think on this morning, maybe as you leave this place this morning. Like, what bothers you more? Is it your sin or is it the sin of someone else? Right, what are you an expert in? Are you an expert in the, the sin that like lingers and remains in your own heart? Or are you really, really good at pointing out the sin in others? Because that's really kind of the heart of what Jesus is getting at here. It's this, he's calling us to, hey, first look at yourself before you ever give your attention to a brother. Again, it's not that you wouldn't give your attention to the speck in a brother's eye, but you need to deal with the log in your own first. Right, what bothers you more? What are you, what are you more critical of? Your own heart or, or the sin of, of someone else? And I think one of the reasons, now this is conjecture a little bit. I think one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that Jesus would say, you need to deal with your own sin first, is because it's, it's when we give proper attention to our own hearts, to our own sin, when we, uh, come face to face with our own need for a savior. 
Like we're much more likely to be gentle and kind and gracious whenever we go to another and say, hey, I see this in your life. I see this in your life and it's inconsistent with what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Whenever you realize your own brokenness, your own sin, and it just changes the way that you approach your brother or sister, right? So I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus says, hey, look, look inward first. Before you cast judgment, before you try and right, dig the, the speck of sawdust out of your brother's eye, like deal with your own. Acknowledge your own. Confess your own. Repent of your own. Then go to your brother right, in, a, in a spirit of, of gentleness and humility that the Lord expects in his community of followers. So let me give us some handles this morning. Right? I like to try and give you some handles to take as we move into a time of response. And so here's the summary. Right, if we're summarizing these five verses, here's, here's kind of the summary. We should be as gracious to others as we are with ourselves. And we should be as critical of ourselves as we are to others. All right, I'm going to say it again because I think that's... like that, If you just don't get anything else this morning, if you just get that, right, we should be as gracious towards others as we are towards ourselves. Right? We love to show ourselves some grace, right? right here, here in a few uh, couple months, we're going to do the, the New Year's resolutions and all that stuff, right? And we kind of do that thing where it's like, well, I'll enjoy it now, but in the New Year's I'll get started. I and mean, we give ourselves this grace period. You know, we love to show ourselves a lot of grace, but we're not as quick to extend that grace to others. And I think what Jesus would, would tell us here is, hey, be as gracious with others as you are towards yourself. And the flip side of that, we should be as critical with ourselves, with our own hearts, with our own sin, with our own brokenness, with our own failings. We should be as critical of ourselves as we are with others. All right, so in those moments where you kind of feel yourself sort of prone to point out what's wrong in someone else, right, when you kind of feel that, uh, that pull to sort of point out your, uh, what, what someone else is doing wrong, how they've misbehaved or their misdeeds or their sin or their attitudes or uh, what you assume their motivations are, like that should be a, like a, an engine light for us, a check engine light. Like, hey, check on your own heart first. Right, look at the, the log in your own eye first. And then after you do that, right, then you can move towards, towards another. Right, and, and listen, one of the ways, one of the things that the Lord has, has given his church to kind of remind us to uh, examine our own hearts, examine our own intentions, examine our own motivations, one of the things the Lord has given his church to help us do that consistently is the Lord's Supper. Right, let me, these are Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 and 28. He says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup, talking about the Lord's Supper, 
Whoever, drinks, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And then he says this in verse 28. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so anytime we receive the Lord's Supper, as we're, we're going to do here in just a minute, I, one of the things that we should do that I think we're, we're called to do is, is meant to be a time where we, where we examine ourselves. All right, to, we, uh, to use Jesus' words, this, this is meant to be a time where we sort of acknowledge the log in our own eye. Right, a, a time where we, we sort of, it's, it, it doesn't have to be a somber thing, it doesn't have to be a depressing thing, but before we receive this Lord's Supper, like one of the things we should do is, is stop and reflect and think Examine your life, right? examine your, your heart, examine your motivations, right? discern them the best you can, confess the sin where you need to confess, repent. Right? That's what this does. It's meant to be a reorienting of our, our hearts. Right? So before you take it here in just a minute, I want to invite you to spend some time examining your own heart, right? your own life. But it's also, and here's the good news, it's, it's also in receiving the Lord's Supper. It's not just meant to be a place where we examine and, and see our own sinfulness. It's also meant to be a time where we, uh, when we're confronted with our own sinfulness, that we're reminded that we have a Savior. Right? That we have a God, a just judge of the universe, who, who had every right to condemn us in our sin and leave us in our sin. And yet instead, he willingly gave his son, who lived a perfect life, who went to the cross, whose body was broken, whose blood was shed, so that we might receive forgiveness for that sin. All right, so um, really that's going to be our response this morning. All right, it's just a moment, the band's going to come up, they're going to lead us in a song, and, and our response this morning is just going to be to receive the Lord's Supper, right? There's, here there's the elements, the, the bread is meant to represent Jesus' body broken for you. The cup is meant to represent Jesus' blood shed for you for the remission or the forgiveness of sin. Uh, and so I'm going to pray here in just a moment. The band's going to come up. They're going to lead us in a song. Uh, and, and as they do, I want to invite you to come up, grab, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, he's Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to come receive these elements. Um, take them back to your seat, and, and I want to encourage you to spend a few moments examining. Right? I, I, I know you can't do a deep dive into your own heart in uh, three to five minutes of a song, but and just ask the Lord to reveal things that in your heart that might need to be confessed, things to be repented of, right? attitudes or actions or behaviors that are, that are inconsistent with what it means to be a follower of Jesus. All right? And then and confess those and believe and trust that when Jesus went to the cross to pay for your sin, that he paid for all of it. And then you take the, the bread and you take the juice as a reminder of what Jesus has done for you. Right? A reminder that when we acknowledge our sin, when we confess our sin, that the just judge of the universe is faithful and just to forgive us 
all of our sin. All right, so you pray with me this morning. Father, we come to you and um, are just thankful this morning for Jesus' body broken for us, for his blood shed for us. So as we receive the Lord's Supper this morning, I pray that we would do so, um, Lord, with grateful hearts. I pray that, that as we spend a few, just a few quiet moments examining our own hearts, examining our own motives, examining our own um, or just our own attitudes before you, Lord. I pray that you would reveal anything that needs to be confessed. Or would you reveal anything that needs to be repented of? And then, Lord, would you, in the receiving of, of this bread and this juice, remind us of the good news of the gospel, that through Jesus' perfect life, through his broken body, through his, uh, his, his bloodshed on the cross, that, that we have received by faith the forgiveness of sin. And so I, I pray, Lord, that, that yes, we would acknowledge our sin, confess our sin, but also in receiving the Lord's Supper, that we would, that we would leave here assured that, that all of our sin, past, present, future, forgiven, by the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Father, pray that your spirit would prompt us, that we would respond as you would have us to respond this morning. Lord, we pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.